Hello and welcome to the Dash Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Gamage, and joining me today is my special guest, Ayo Deli Harrison. He is in the greater Atlanta area and is a senior partner with Community Build Ventures, helping to bridge racial, racial gaps and disparities and also help black male educators come together for conversations. And as we get into this episode, I have to be sure to let you know to go visit TreyGamage.com right now to subscribe to the podcast and my new email list. I'm excited about the content that we're bringing out to you. And of course, on the website, you can find additional information like all 140 plus podcast episodes, a link to my new book, Every Decision Counts, Eight Lessons I Wish Taught Me in School. And you can also set up a time there to talk about Every Decision Counts and SEL in your school. So without further ado, let's get into our conversation with A.O. Deli. Thank you so much for joining me today, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. And just one correction is Ayodele. Ayodele, excuse me. Yeah, I, hey, you got it. Ayodele Harrison. Forgive me. I, I had Ayodele in my head. Um, Ayodele, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Uh, forgive, forgive the mystery. No worries. It's, it's, it's a very unique name. Um, it, was, it was given to me by my grandmother. Mm. Uh, my father is Nigerian. I'm Nigerian. Um, my mother is American. And so it was one of the names that was given to me. And it is a very, very common name in Nigeria. Uh, and it is one of a kind having grown up in Seattle, haven't found too many folks <laughs> named Ayodele in Seattle. So um, yeah. pronouncing it has always been a part of um, some of the challenges people have. And, and I'm, I'm used to it. You know, my daughter's name is Ife Tayo and, and we, you know, she's five now and we're, te- you know, she knows how to say her name, but it's in all school is important that she's learning how to be assertive and, and correct people and say, oh, no, excuse me, it's Ife Tayo, please say it correctly, you know, things like that. So I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's, a, that's even a good piece of just where we start to jump in. When I look at even your LinkedIn profile, it says Community Build Ventures is a solution-focused firm committed to eliminating racial disparities, developing powerful and impactful racial equity-driven leaders and organizations. I mean, even, even with your name and your heritage, um, that can cause some forms of disparity in a classroom. If a teacher may have an assumption about your name or where you're from and things like that, that's a piece of, of having equity and in, in making sure that our educators understand cultures and the importance of something like a, a first name or last name as well. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. I mean, that, you know, so I've been teaching, I was in a class, I've been in education for 20 years in the classroom for 16 years. And um, as someone who's had a name that isn't, traditionally American, right? John, Michael, whatever that might be. Um, There's been a lot of work around teaching people how to say my my name. And so one of the things that I always deemed very important when I entered the classroom in around 2000 was to make sure that I took the time to get to know students' names and understand how they would like to be addressed and called, you know, even if it were um, a, a nickname. You know, I mean, because some people, what's on the roll sometimes isn't the name that people want to be referred to as. And so it's always important to pause and learn the names. And I, and I always tell people that, you know, I've taught grades 6 through 12 um, in a variety of different educational settings that I actually learn students' names faster than I learn adult names. You know, I don't know if you've experienced that before, but it's like I can, you know, walk in and meet an adult and forget their name as soon as they handshake. But if, you know, but a, but a child, a student in my classroom, like the names come very quickly. And, and, and that's always important to honor them and honor where they're at um, with their name. Because I know that I struggled for some time with Ayodele. 
you know, I wanted to fit in. That's what we all wanted to do. And my name was different. And so a lot of times I'd say, just call me Io, you know, and it wasn't until um, a mentor in my life, probably in about high school was really just was able to um, tell me more. Like I knew what my name meant, but um, help me better understand what your name says about you right mm. moving forward so i knew the 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 definition or the explanation the yoruba definition of it which is joy has come but he just kind of reinforced to me the importance of saying the whole thing and from that experience it still took me about two years probably halfway through college where i started going by ayodele right and introducing myself in that way um and that's how it's been ever since so you know so names are important yeah absolutely and it's a pretty cool name so i know you've had a lot of time to practice and your wealth of experience. I see you've been in Oakland, California, Johannesburg, uh, South Africa, Washington, D.C., Nigerian, Atlanta. Let's kind of start from where you are now and, and work backwards a little bit through your journey in education. Talk to me about Community Build Ventures and some of the things that you are um, attached to within the organization. Yeah, so I mean, thank you. Uh, so like you said, we, we are about eliminating racial disparities. And the only by developing powerful and impactful um, equity-driven leaders and organizations. And so our work is really in partnership with corporations, with nonprofits, with non-governmental agencies, with the government, um, with educational institutions to really be able to, I mean, ultimately, we want to be able to have brave, challenging conversations with people. So within my work as a senior partner of education, uh, we, we lead work in equity-centered uh, school improvement, and we're basically saying, how do we measure, how do we, and how do we transform um, school culture, climate, and equity from a systems-level approach, right? How do we better understand root causes of achievement gaps and opportunity gaps and figure out from there, once we identify the root cause, then what are our steps? What are our progress? What, what adult learning needs to take place? Right. Sometimes what we found um, in, in our work is that with some of the answers schools might have is to some of the challenges might be a community engagement challenge that they're facing. Right. So I, I was visiting a school um, in a major city uh, uh, um, a few months ago, and this school uh, sits in a community where 46 percent of their student enrollment speak that specific language right or speak a non-english language and so um, what was interesting is that when i learned about that statistic i then thought about um, what the school looked like and the images coming in and i saw very little of that particular culture represented in the building right and so that's one of those those places where you're like wait but almost half of your student body are English, are English language learners for one specific mother tongue, but none of that culture appears, not a flag, not the colors, not some of the history from that. And so what we, what we work with schools to do is be able to identify um, what are the root causes of some of the challenges that they're experiencing. So sometimes people are, are it's academic performance or it's behavior. There, we have to take a full comprehensive approach and look at a school environment to be able to understand what it is because sometimes it's as simple as engaging your community, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you could, you could potentially address literacy challenges by engaging the community to come in and be a part and have reading circles and other things in here. You might not need a whole new curriculum, right? So what we try and do is make sure we get to root 
causes, and then work to build capacity around um, a team of leaders, community folks, um, also teachers, students, and parents about the path forward for the school. So that's just one way that we're really um, working to eliminate racial disparities um, in our educational system, specifically school by school and district by district. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that makes so much sense to me, you know, from using systems to not just the school, but the school community, the students, the adults, the parents, the uh, community partners, the businesses, all those things and the solutions are very centered on, I think you can see, um, I know our audience can't see, but um, that book right here that I'm pointing to is about asset-based community development, which yeah. uh -huh. is a lovely approach. One of the first, my, my first mini job out of college was with the Civic Education Project out of um, Northwestern and was able to go to Johns Hopkins and um, Northwestern University of Illinois, Chicago. And we worked with some middle and high school students on some project or yeah, awesome asset-based ABCD projects essentially in the principles and the foundations I learned from there of just simply using the talents, the tools, the resources and skills that already exist in the community to make it uh, turn, turn the community into producers, people that create rather than consumers, people who are, are following and waiting for a savior. Right, I mean, and, and the, 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 the key with that is when we do our work with districts and schools, we don't come in and tell them what we think they should do. What we do is build a capacity for us all collectively to understand and agree upon next steps, right? Because some people say, well, come in and, and change this. And you say, well, no, it's important that we do our comprehensive school culture, climate and equity assessment, which is this full 360 degree diagnostic so that we don't make a decision. We just facilitate conversation mm -hmm. with teams of folks to be able to decide what the best decision is that is an asset-based approach because we're assuming the answer is there. We just got to be able to create the framework to where we have enough evidence and understanding of the, of the challenge we're facing to then make that decision. And a lot of our work is capacity building. And the challenge of that is when we say we have a team, right, of parents, uh, community leader, uh, teacher, school leader, that's a new approach for folks because they said, well, I can handle this as a school leader. Well, that's not how we operate. What we want to make sure is that everybody can bring something fruitful to the table. Let's help you identify a team and build the capacity of that team to be able to do that. Because then what happens is now when you're building that capacity of that team of multiple stakeholders, the work can continue long after our relationship has ended because you now have had chance to, 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 to jump into a community, into a collaborative learning community and grow in that way. And so that's what we, we, we like about our work. We wanna leave you all better and with the tools to be able to continue to work. Um, now don't get me wrong, we love staying with long-term long, long -term plans with, with folks and, and longevity, but we really wanna make sure that we're equipping communities to really, uh, uh, to, to solve and to develop solutions that they feel is appropriate for themselves. Mm, mm, I love that. Yeah, that, that means the most. The person comes first and that's, uh, really stood out for me with I, my background of the psychology and so mm. it's been the root of everything that I'm doing and that that transcends industry if you will and so I think through your experience in education you've had to go or you've gotten a chance to go to a lot of different areas a lot of different climates demographics and students that you worked with what did you learn through your time in that education specifically for black male educators and how has that inspired some of the work that you're doing with uh, the black male educator talks 
Uh, let me see here. So, so what I've learned is in working in public neighborhood, public charter, independent, or what some people call private schools, international, uh, students are the same. Like they, they come with such a vigor and excitement for learning. Um, and that is innate within them. And some have in various communities have faced challenges that have, I, I say like, like shrink their access to that learning and that excitement that, that wanting to, to grow. And so, um, but it's not that it's dwindled or not there. It's like it exists. It's just the access portal because of life situations, circumstances, schooling, you know, community, whatever might happen, their access to that is, is lower. It might be slim or um, difficult or limited. And so, but I've learned that all kids have a joy for learning. Um, I've learned that teaching, no matter if you're in um, one of the most challenging, you know, well, challenging is always relative. I think teaching is an art form um, and it does start, as you say, with people and relationships, right? It's understanding relationships and relationships are, I think, go beyond um, or relationships that go beyond just how I directly interact one-on-one -on -one with a student or a faculty or a community member. It's also about, as a classroom teacher, how do I present my class? What type of, what type of relationship am I communicating to my students by the way that I set up my classroom? by the way that I have all my photocopies or all the notes or all, you know, all the things ready to go, by the way that there's structure that's provided within the classroom from jump. And so I think there's, you know, so in my work with new teachers, I'm often um, trying to share with them that yes, you can have a really strong and firm relationship with students that are just talking with them, but then how does your dress communicate your relation, your level of relationship? How does the way you enter the class, you begin the class, the way you end the class, the way you hold students accountable, how is that also contributing to your relationship, which a lot of that is nonverbal. And so that's what I've learned is that, um, that kids are, are um, they all want to learn. They all have this excitement for that. Some, there are more measures that you might have to take to really be able to um, make sure you cultivate a relationship to where they have a greater access to that desire to learn within them. Um, and so I think that's what I've learned in, in so many different environments. Um, in terms of like black male educators um, and, and, and in the variety of spaces, I mean, we can easily go to, to, the, to you know, the numbers game. It's, we mentioned you know, before we started that black male educators in public education represent less than 2% of the teaching uh, population. And so as you go into private school and as you go into international schools, it's even slimmer than that. Mm -hmm. um, and so there is such a need for the, uh, the education industry, not just classrooms, but the education industry to open itself up and for black male educators to continue to investigate those particular spaces. You know, here in Atlanta, our uh, board chair, chairman of the school board um, is, a, uh, is um, uh, Jason Estevez, and, it's Estes, and um, he is a lawyer. Uh, he's on the general counsel for Equifax. So he leads multi-million dollars worth of decisions for over 50,000 students. And I'm not sure how many faculty, and he's a lawyer, right, in doing this work. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just understanding that education is very, very broad. And so while I want more, I, I work towards this. I want the black male educators who are currently in classrooms in K-12 school buildings and higher ed to stay there and be well and thrive there. But I also want to say to those who are coming in 
to this field of education that there's a whole plethora of places where you can engage this work as a lawyer, as an architect, as a finance minister, as a uh, social worker. Um, and so it's so while I'm excited about bringing black men educators into the classroom, which I think is definitely needed, I'm even more excited about introducing them to the ecosystem of education that's available out there with whatever their current degree might be, if it's an engineering or a BA in, in, in English or um, a doctoral degree in, in whatever that else that might be. Um, because it's about increasing numbers all across, but then also increasing the quality of what we bring to our students every day. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that a lot. I feel like uh, I appreciate the point that being a black male educator isn't only about being a teacher, but it can be your, your DCDF, your career specialist, your guidance counselor, and even those community partners and things, having people that look like makes such a big in the world. Why do and have a heart. And I would also say, like, have a heart and a connection to a K-12 experience that we know with statistics that many of our black and brown children, specifically males, are not having the best of experiences moving through. And so if I move through K-12 or the P-16 system through college, right, and I know my experience, if I come back and stay connected as general counsel of a school board or something else, I can begin to make decisions and be more informed about what I might want to improve upon, right? So I have that experience, that value from that K-12. That's why I think, you know, across the ecosystem, there's value that we can all bring no matter what our level of eco, uh, no matter what our level of expertise or experience is in. Absolutely. Why, why do you feel like, um, why do you feel like education isn't very attractive for black males? Is it because of our experience through? Well, <laughs> wow, that, that's a, that's a, that's a big question. I mean, I, I, I think there's, there are, uh, people better positioned to be able to say with that but I think it's you know you can begin with this idea of um what a black male's k-12 experience would be and if it has not been a positive experience there um there's a less of a desire to want to pursue that as a particular career uh, we also have to understand that from an early age who do we see as teachers, right? We see my daughter is five years old and you know, I've been with her in high, her entire life. And pretty much uh, pre, you know, early childhood care all the way through until she's in kindergarten now, like she has not had a black, she has not had a male interaction. And so for her, she's seeing consistent female models of like, wow, you're a teacher, wow, you're a caretaker. So that is subconsciously and consciously blending in like, oh, I could be a teacher. I can see myself in that way. But, but with males, that's not the case, right? And so, you know, people say, if I can see it, I can be it. So that's a challenge uh, in and of itself. And then we can go to, you know, um, I know that it is, so we have the, the, the K-12 experience. We have the, you know, how, you know, who you're likely to see as an educator um, early on in your life. Um, and then you have to think of um, the the idea that um, what do I want to say about this? Um, it's this idea that um, you are to be historically a breadwinner, right? That patriarchal society, a place where you're going to be the breadwinner, and to do that, teaching isn't necessarily associated with that, right? So as 
in a patriarchal society as, as wanting to be able to provide and provide safety and security, um, which is needed within our community, right? And a lot of that comes through financial gain. Some people would look at the profession of teaching and say, well, it's not enough money for me to take care of myself, right? Or I desire more money to be able to live a better life. And so there is a career, there are other career options that I know um, can, can get me along that financial path that I would like to do. Yeah. Also, how many, how many folks are telling not just black boys or boys, but just males or students that you should be a teacher, right? So some of this also lands um, on us and our experience as educators. And how much are we like pointing to? I think, you know, Sharif El-Mekki, um, from, uh, uh, who was uh, a part of the, the, the fellowship um, in, in, uh, uh, in Philadelphia and his work with developing teachers with the new institute that he's developed is, you know, saying like, how much are we pointing to and identifying black boys and say, you could be an educator. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can do this. You can be a building leader. You can be a curriculum specialist. You can be, um, you can go and get a writing degree and teach English, you know, at multiple levels. And so how much are we actually, um, how many of our role models are encouraging us as black males to pursue a degree in teaching, to pursue a field of education in that way. So there's a number of different, and we didn't even get to the systemic barriers that, no. that exist from that, but I, there's a variety of different reasons why, um, or that contributing factors to fewer Black males specifically entering the profession. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, pretty sure I'm going to have to invite you back for another episode to talk about <laughs> the system, both inside of business and just overall, because there's I mean, there's so many, somebody asked me, what do you think is wrong with black people before? And I'm like, would you want to say one thing? You know, where, where do you want me to point to um, in talking about the disparities for people of color in our country? I mean, how far back do you want me to go? What kind of pieces do you want me to dig in? Right. But I, I well, think- and, and one, one of the things I'll say is that, excuse me for interrupting, one of the things that I'm learning is with um, Brown versus the board, how once um, that hit, over 36,000 or 30,000 plus black educators were pushed out of the educational system, were, were fired from teaching. Wow. And so historically, right, like we were teachers, <laughs> we were educators, we are educators, that is a part of our community. But when, when we have said to made it and win the legislation that allows us to have equal access or, uh, to our schools, we then lost out on a large population of black educators who would have been those role models for the young males coming up. Um, and so we have to land this in history um, in the context of equity and, and white supremacy and racism and how that's contributed to, to us being not deemed as learners, right? And if you're, yeah. not, if you're not viewed as a learner, how much harder is it for you to then view yourself as a teacher? Mm-hmm. Right. As an educator, as a griot, you know what I mean? As you, as you mature around that. So, yeah. yeah. I think that's a good point. I mean, there's, you know, there's a, and I don't mean to say that I, I just got to be careful what I'm about to say here. I think there's a double-edged sword that happened with integration. You know, as, as integration happened, a lot of the disparities that we see financially, wealth gaps, education gaps started to persist because um, the black Wall Streets of our past started to crumble. The economy started to crumble. And when, when well, they were blown up, like Tulsa, yeah. they, they literally went door by door. Anyway, I'm sorry, I get yeah, it. Yeah, like I know, they went, I it, it was system. Anyway, yeah, you look, know, and, and that's look, a whole we, other we gotta wrap this up. We're gonna go do too many <laughs> rabbit holes, but but I think you know the the point is still that there is there's a lot of things when 
yeah, there's yeah, we'll we'll go down that hole another time. Um, I, I do. But nonetheless, but 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 what I'll say is that we black male educators exist. Black male educators want to be in this profession. They 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 and and I know my work is about one working to retain them, right? And we think that through this effort of deep engagement, retention will go up. And as we see communities of black male educators that are in St. Louis, that are in Philadelphia, that are in Texas, that are in South Carolina, that are in Detroit, that are in all these places, we're now being able to claim some airtime to where now young people are seeing like, well, who are them brothers in Detroit? Yeah. Who are those brothers in Philadelphia? I, 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 want, I never thought about being an educator, but now that I see it, I will want to consider it. Yeah. Well, and so, you know, I think a, a good way to wrap up, you've got a few events that are coming up or have already happened, depending on when this episode is released, um, with Black Male Educator Talks. And so can you talk about just some of the locations that these conversations are going to be held at and um, where, where can people go to find more information about Black Male Educator Talks and about you as well? Sure. So um, so what we do have is, um, so as senior partner with Community Bill Ventures, um, we've created BME's Talk, which is a, what that is, is about creating and curating safe, rich spaces for Black male educators to connect, grow, and lead. And so one of the professional convenings that we have is a BME's Talk Live. And so these events are where we, where we convene 80 to 100 Black male educators. And so, so on February 22nd, uh, we had an event, our first event of the spring, um, this year at Clayton State University, and we had over 80 brothers come out and engage in professional learning, networking, and celebrating. And so that's stop. That was stop number one on our tour. The next stop is Los Angeles, which is going to happen on March 14th in partnership with Los Angeles Southwest College. Um, they've created space for us to come in and hold a live event, and then we'll be in Washington D.C. at the uh, Bishop Walker School for Boys on April 18th. Um, and so these are three hour events where we help, you know, one comment from a brother said, I feel, I feel seen, I feel valued and I feel community. And, mm -hmm. and that just, that just nails what it's all about is oftentimes we navigate educational spaces as one of few. And so very few times are we met amongst a community of black men educators. So what our aim is to do is to connect them, right? Give an opportunity for them to share their stories with one another um, to grow in that space and then provide space for them to lead as well. So we want to be a system that that is curating professional learning experiences, and we are doing that for Black male educators. That is designed by Black male educators and for Black male educators. Um, so we're excited about um, this and looking to continue to add cities on. So we're looking to part for institutional mm -hmm. partners um, and folks can they can you ask where where can they find more information? We have a website. It's BMES Talk. Dot com where you can learn about the professional convenings that we have. We also have a very large Twitter community. So on Twitter, we're over uh, 5,400 followers strong where we meet every Tuesday night for um, a Twitter chat at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Um, that, that handle is at BMES Talk. Um, you can find us on Instagram. So there's a variety of places to really be able to engage with us. On those spaces, you can find me. Also, um, our website, my company's website is communitybuildventures.com where you can learn about our work in um, uh, valuing or bringing about racial equity solutions for a variety of different communities that we serve. So we're out there. We're, we're in there and we do want to be able to engage. 
We know that black educators around the country, they want to get to our events. Sometimes they can't because they're, you know, in a city that might be far away, but you can on our website donate, right? You can mm -hmm. sponsor a local black male educator in Los Angeles or DC to attend the event. You can, you know, share the word and spread about that. So we're really just saying, get connected with us. Let's continue to invest in our community and creating these safe spaces for black male educators. This is phenomenal information that we have. And I, I'd love to be uh, one of those partners that help you find some more of those community partners throughout South Carolina. And finally, Ayodele, where can we find you at? So, so one of the easiest places, I'm in Atlanta. Matter of fact, I'm sitting in a Kroger parking lot having this conversation. So mm. you can find me in East Atlanta in, in a variety of different schools, but online you can find me. Um, Twitter is probably one of the easiest places to find me. It's at Iodeli underscore H-A-R 78. Yes, there is still a number on the, the end of my handle. Um, you can also email me. Uh, my email is at, or excuse me, Iodeli at communitybillventures.com. Um, LinkedIn, you can find me, Iodeli Harrison. Um, there's a variety of different ways to, to, to get in contact with me, to learn about our work and discuss how we can partnership and continue to build together. Yeah, I love it. I'm, I'm uh, following you now. So okay. that's, that's what I got going on over here. Um, well, man, I thank you so much, man. This was some highly intelligent information and I can't wait to, to have you on the show again and let everybody hear this episode as well. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate um, you opening your platform to me to, to introduce this work um, to, uh, to, to, to the world. I, I thank you for that. It's, it's, our, it's so important to have folks like you, Trey, who are, uh, who are holding these conversations and sharing um, the work um, in a variety of spaces across education. Um, we're working together in this because the work um, is being done, but it also needs to be shared and spread in various ways. And you are a platform allowing for that. So I thank you for your time for inviting me on today. Without a doubt, without a doubt. I started this podcast to add value consistently for free was the goal when we got started with challenging, meaningful and significant conversations. So I really appreciate your words of encouragement and I appreciate you all for listening to the Dash podcast today. This was an excellent, excellent episode with Mr. Iodeli Harrison out in East Atlanta. I will be there for a training in a couple of weeks and have some family there as well. So maybe I get a chance to run into you. And um, if you like this episode, please share it with your friends, your administrators, your teachers. We want to continue to spread the word and tell a friend. Before I let you go, don't forget to go visit TreyGamers.com to find your copy of Every Decision Counts and find out more about how we're bridging gaps in education through SEL and communication. We will see you next time. This is The Dash.